This week on the It's a Monkey podcast. But healthcare's evolved. 80% of all healthcare costs are chronic diseases, meaning things that we live with every day. We live with depression, we live with mental illness, we live with diabetes, we live with cardiovascular disease, we live with cancers, we even live with HIV. HIV used to kill us, now people live with it till they're 80. So all these diseases that used to be managed really well by doctors in their, in, in their offices, now need to be managed in the community. And yet we as patients are completely ignored. We don't have our data. We're not empowered. We still have to go into the doctor to see us. We don't have our data or test results. Ridiculous. Good evening, good afternoon, hello, wherever you are in the world. My name is Kevin Garber. I'm the CEO of Managed Flitter and soon to be Managed Social as well. It is Thursday, the 14th of September, 2017. It is beautiful spring where we are, well, where I am in Sydney, Australia. We have been having, uh, yesterday we had a 35 degrees Celsius day, so spring slash summer on the way. We are... Um, This is episode number 105, so welcome, especially if you're a new listener, um, as a special welcome to you on this podcast. As usual, I have my co-host Kate Frappel, who is in Whistler, Canada at the moment. Kate is the design lead at Manage Flitter and Manage Social. Kate, thank you so much for joining us. No worries. It's good to be back again. As usual, we got a fantastic show lined up. Later on in the show, I'm going to be speaking with Dr. Tal Rapke. Now, we speak a lot about blockchain and about Bitcoin and about crypto. And a lot of people struggle to get their heads around real-world applications besides Bitcoin, which is a cryptocurrency. I managed to find someone, that's someone being Dr. Tal Rapke, who has a real-life blockchain application. So we're going to talk to him a little bit. And he, he, I managed to drag him into the studio because he's based in Sydney, Australia, which is fortuitous. So we're going to talk to him a little bit later about an interesting um, idea that he's got in the process of building out uh, in the medical space built on blockchain technology. So that's coming up a little bit later on in the show. As usual, we um, kick off with a couple of tech news items. And the big story this week is the new Apple iPhone. I believe it's Apple iPhone X. Is that correct, Kate? It's spelled X, uh, but it's actually pronounced 10. So it's like the Roman numeral is X. So it's iPhone 10 iPhone 10. Um, I watched some of the uh, promo material around it, and I think what is most noticeable, especially to the Australians, is that it's nearly 2,000 Australian dollars. So, uh, I think it depends. Like it, if you, it starts at 1,000, so 64 gigabytes at 1,000, but it goes up to 256 gigabytes. So that's probably up at the $2,000 mark. Yeah, 2,000 Australian. So it's it's a big number for a phone. I mean, you can get a pretty decent laptop for that price. I was reading some background information to it, and apparently one of the, the, the factors that makes it so expensive is the screen. To have incredibly high-quality glass on the screen is what pushes the price up a lot. That being said, I'm sure Apple are making um, a nice chunk of, of margin on it. Um, as a non-iPhone user being me, you the iPhone user, so we can sort of come at it, at it from two different perspectives. Uh, a couple of features which I quite like. Definitely they mentioned they got wireless charging, which is great. 
I think um, they seem to have really gone a bit crazy in all the specs of the cameras, which is great, and some of uh, the, the the specs around that. Um, what were other some of the standout features that uh, the, the iPhone X um, is going to have? So this is a 10-year anniversary, so interestingly, they've skipped the 9. They also released the 8 at the recent conference, so they've gone uh, iPhone 8 to iPhone 10. Basically, it's water-resistant and it's dust-resistant. You're right, they've gone crazy with the camera. They've got like a dual camera on the back um, and they've also got in their A11 bionic chip a neural network, which is really great for augmented reality. But also what it mainly does is it can detect and map your face. So instead of having Touch ID using your fingerprint or um, having to put in a passcode, you, um, you simply like glance at your phone and they use um, the, well, the camera, new camera technology in the front-facing camera to detect and map your face um, and it unlocks it. And at the moment, it's one in a million um, chance of somebody hacking that. I mean, I don't think that's such a big deal. I mean, to swipe or to put in a passcode, I, don't, I mean, I don't think it's revolutionary. I think it's maybe a nice little touch but it's definitely not worth 2000 Australian dollars to have that feature. But I do think um, getting prepared for augmented reality is a big deal. I think augmented reality is going to be a lot bigger than virtual reality. I think virtual reality is going to be very niched in terms of training, simulation, gaming, uh, entertainment, things like that. But I think augmented reality is going to be incredibly pervasive. And I think that's going to be interesting to see. I mean, I think they released their augmented reality developers kit and it's going to be interesting to see what people develop. And if that phone is optimized for that, that that will be interesting. Obviously, iOS, I assume, is going to get an upgrade. iOS definitely is a good operating system. I think it's taken Android quite a few years to get up to speed of the iOS operating system. But um, yeah, the form factor, has that changed? The size of the actual phone, has that changed at all? Uh, not massively. The screen goes all the way to the edges, um, which is sort of a big thing as well. The retina display is now called a super retina display, um, so they've improved that as well. And um, and they've also got a new type of emoji, which is called an emoji. Um, so there's about 12 of them. And again, they use the same facial mapping camera, um, and you can you can add a, your voice to the emoji and you can also make it smile make it basically copy your facial and head movements so and you can put that in a message so if you want to send an sms to someone you can send it via an an emoji i saw that and it looks it's cute it's cute don't know if it's game changing i mean a lot of people are critical of apple not coming up with something revolutionary but what they don't realize is that you know, Apple in a way are actually being smart. They onto a good thing and there's no reason why they shouldn't keep on going down the path of a good thing and making profits on a good thing, right? It's um, it's actually good business sense. They, the Apple doesn't owe the world to take these great, crazy um, commercial risks and, and be innovative and disruptive for the sake of it. It's, it's 
it's, and you know, people act like Apple owes the world to try and you know develop a flying car or something, which I believe they are trying to do, you know, behind the scenes and under the hood of everything. But um, you know, the, the changes on the phone have frustrated people because they appear to be more incremental than revolutionary with each release of the iPhone, where there was a sense when Steve Jobs was around that each release tended to be a little bit more revolutionary. But in fairness, Steve Jobs launched the first iPhone, and it's easier to be revolutionary in the first days. You even look at air travel or cars or things like that. It's in the early days there was, and even the internet, there was just revolutions happening, you know, and disruptions happening a lot more frequently as technologies mature. And the changes become incremental, not revolutionary. Yeah, I mean, I think you have a point, but at the same time, um, this particular phone, the 10, uh, to me, stands out as something a little bit different, a little bit more fancy. I mean, the the iPhone 8, the camera looks amazing, but otherwise it looks like a 7 or even a 6S, which is what I've got. But the 10, the 10 actually sort of makes me want to go out and buy a new phone, which I think was sort of what they're going for maybe is that they put the 8 at the same time as the 10 and you go, wow, the 10 is so much different. And uh, and being the 10-year anniversary and stuff too, they made a big deal about about Steve Jobs and um, in the keynote as well. Like they sort of started with him and his vision and ended with um, memories and stuff of him as well. So they're making that that idea that, that this is the new revolutionized phone. And, of course, they also released a new version of the watch, which – actually interested me that apple is it called the iwatch or the apple watch i always forget i think it's just apple watch right it's just apple watch yeah this is the series three i was excited by this as well and it's the fact that they got a version that actually doesn't need the phone you can put the uh, sim card in the apple watch am i correct yep i don't i don't think you physically put the sim card in there but you it it is cellular so it uses it connects to your um connects to your phone's plan, I guess. Um, in Australia, it's like Optus, Telstra, Vodafone, and you, you pair it, um, but then you don't have to have the phone close to you. You can actually go for a run and, uh, and use your phone for phone calls, messages, data, and it just it works as if it's a phone. Well, I'm a bit disappointed that it doesn't work totally independently of the... Oh, it does. It does. But so if I, if I don't have an iPhone, can I use the Apple Watch? Yeah, that's, so that's what I mean, to use it totally independently with, without being an iPhone user or even being an Android user. And obviously they wouldn't – unfortunately, they wouldn't be that bold to be like other smartwatches that can actually use either like, – like the Pebble Watch used to be compatible with the iPhone and the Android um, because I'd actually, I actually think the Apple Watch is a great product, and I'd like to use the Apple Watch with my Android. I don't think the iPhone is a great product compared to the Android for a variety of reasons, and I'd prefer to stick with my Android. But yeah, I'm not going to switch to iPhone just to use the Apple Watch. And there still isn't. I, I think it's definitely the best smart watch out there at the moment. The Apple Watch. Yeah, well, it, it overtook um, Rolex, I think it was. So now it's the the top number one watch in the world. Do you still use your Apple Watch regularly? Uh, not as much as I did in Sydney, unfortunately. But I also think that's because of the my living situation at the moment. I haven't set up the charger. But once I mean, once I have like a sort of a, a bigger space, I probably would put multiple chargers. Um, 
but again, like there, there is a problem there where we've got a charger for the charger for your phone, charger for your computer, charger for your AirPods, charger for your watch. And they brought out this new product that's coming out next year called Air Power. So it's a charging mat and it's only one cord and you basically place your iPhone 10 or an 8, your watch series 3, your AirPods all just on the mat and they start charging. I saw that the vision, the vision for charging is you walk in your home or your office and there's seamless wireless charging and your device just charge while you're in the office or the home and you walk out and you've got fully charged devices. So wireless charging, definitely the way of the future. That, that would put less pressure on having these battery lives extend, which I believe Apple's only managed to extend the battery life by a couple of hours on the new Apple 10. And that's definitely what people want is more battery life, whether it's Android, iPhone. What's interestingly is there's this perception that battery life is pretty bad, but it's actually our usage has just increased. Because if you actually switch your phone into, if you if you switch off um, data on your phone um, and even just use it for phone calls, like on my Android, it'll just last forever. Or in mm. flight mode, it will just last for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks. So, you know, they have managed to push a huge amount of power into these phones. But if you're sitting on your phone half of the day on, on Wi-Fi, on cellular, looking up the screen, downloading things, it's chewing up a huge amount of power. But a, a revolution on the power side of things would definitely, that would, if, if Apple could, and it's obviously really difficult, otherwise they would have done it, but a revolution on the power side of things, if Apple came out and said, right, you only have, only have to charge your phone once a month, now that's revolutionary, right? Hmm. Yeah, it's a good point. Um, but I think as well, they so they have this charging mat that they're coming out with next year, but it's not exclusive, which is interesting for Apple. So there's going to be other products like uh, Belkin, for example, make one. And it just these charging spots, I guess, or, or, or mats to a degree, like circles. Um, and you just place your, um, place your devices on it. It's called like a, a Qi system and it's spelled Q-I. Um, so anything with Qi, you can charge your 10 or your Apple Series 3 on. And this whole idea that this circular charging plate, I guess is a better word for it, can be installed in like restaurant tables, airports, anywhere basically um, and just become like a, a normal thing that when you sit down at a restaurant there's a cheap plate in the middle and you just put your devices on there and it charges it will definitely take a lot of pressure of people wanting more power because you can just charge it in increments as you go through your day it's definitely one of the most frustrating i mean i walk around with a big belkin external battery uh, in my bag during the week and on the weekends in my pockets just to make sure that I just don't run out of power on my phone. So I've just got full power day and night on my phone um, for work reasons, for social reasons, to read my Kindle, all sorts of things. So it's definitely um, – I, I mean, the con if you go down the conspiracy theorist route, you would think that Apple are still making so much money on their phone and they may have some fancy power technology, but they're waiting until they've got some serious competitive advantage uh, – sorry, disadvantage – and then are going to bring it out. They don't need to do it now. They're making, they're selling so many phones, and they're making so much money on these phones. Why do they have to give away all their competitive advantage now? They could keep this incredible technology under wraps until they really run out of steam, and boom, then they come in. But 
I don't think I don't think they would do that. That's also has other risks where the technology someone might beat them or things like that. But that's just that's just a a little fun theory to have. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, they they could be sitting on lots of things. Like in a way, I feel like they've been sitting on a lot between the seven and the ten. Yeah, you know, like the the screen, the camera, the AR abilities. It's just, it seems like quite a decent leap from what the 7 is or even the new 8. Um, so they very well could be sitting on stuff um, and just incrementally releasing them. I think we should get you a 10 and have a play with it and, and get you to review it, especially with all the AR capability and apps. We definitely need to be across that. But, um, yeah, that's an aside. Let's um, go to the, the next news story, Google. Now, this is an interesting story. Google, um, there's a lot of, t- you, you know, with the Amazon Echo and these devices that, um, you know, and Siri and Google Voice and these devices that essentially are listening to you the whole time and waiting for that activation phrase, whether it's OK Google. I don't know what the Amazon Echo default phrase is, Kate. I don't know if you know. Um, mm, don't know. Is it Alexa? Your phone's in flight mode, so I can't help you with it. If you heard, I said, okay, Google, and my phone reacted, right? Yeah. <laughs> it came to life. Now, what that means is your phone's listening to you the whole time, right? Yes. Clearly, and there's, there's, there have been people that are concerned that, that, you know, some people that they're talking to their friend about Hawaii and suddenly they see ads for Hawaii on, uh, on Google and, and people are, you know, they are actually re- recording this and, and using it for targeting, et cetera. And there was an article that came out that there was a way that you can actually check what Google has actually on you on record in uh, the clips that it's recorded. And I actually checked this in my Google account. And there were quite a few false positives where the Google, the OK Google had been activated. But most of them were just dead air that I must have said something quickly and it, I didn't say anything afterwards. But there were a couple, interestingly, where I was talking to different friends and sometimes about sensitive topics, about challenges they're having, etc. And there were, and there was an audio file of that sitting in my Google account. Interesting. Right? That, I had, that I had no idea about. That there was a record of it just based on, and we're so used to having our phones around us that we don't think twice about it. So firstly, go into your Google account, and I'm sure Apple's got something similar, where you can actually check what audio clips Google and Apple have on you because there may be something there that you don't want them to have. And I would even go as far as to say if you are having a sensitive discussion work-wise, personal-wise, put your phone in flight mode, switch off your phones. I don't know, although there's listening devices in your home everywhere, your TV, you know, Amazon Echo, these other devices, are we going to switch them off the whole time? Or do we just forget about it? It's, it's, it's a little bit of an issue. We're putting a huge amount of trust into these companies. And I like to trust people. I like to trust companies. I don't want to think that they're going to be doing anything for the wrong reasons. And, of course, the authorities, the temptation is just so big. I mean, you can imagine if, if they suspect someone of crime to be able to get into a back door and just have a listening device in their home. Wow. Just does all the dirty work for them. So, I don't know. Kate, what do you think about all of this? 
I think, honestly, I don't think I know enough about it, but the idea is it's a little bit scary, I guess. I mean, the article states as well that a lot of the time, I guess if you want to use like a metaphor, um, your phone like pricks its ears up uh, if you have an Android at simply the word okay. So it won't listen for okay Google. It'll just listen for okay. So if you say to your friend, oh, oh that's okay, it's listening and it records about 10 to 20 seconds um, of audio. And then if you are a Google or Android user, you can listen to it. But if you're an Apple user, you can't get that information. So it's no, not it's, right. it's not publicized, no. Mm. Um, but uh, Apple do say that they only keep, they, they keep the records, but they can only, you can only trace it back to the owner of the phone for 18 months. So after 18 months, they must still have the audio files, but they can't, track who said them or what device they came from. I mean, the one clip in particular, I was talking to a friend that was upset about something and they were crying and revealing some, some information. And it was, it was, it was a little bit, it was a little bit, um, yeah, it was a real wake up call. I have to be honest that how many other clips around the world of people using Android are sitting in people's Google's account that they're not they're not aware of yeah. at all. That that this was triggered. I mean, Google didn't trigger this purposefully. I obviously said something. Maybe it wasn't you know even everything's going to be okay or something like that. Yeah, and it triggered it. Well, um, they're even saying in this article that yeah, you know, yes, that's mostly the use case, but sometimes not even. Sometimes it's just just listening for the sake of listening. And, and capturing all sorts of information and sort of Google's excuse and Apple's as well is that it's like a free language class for the software because it's sort of needing to listen to natural human communication in order to learn how to talk back to you. Mm. Yeah, look, it's it's a real, real tricky one. I mean, we're heading to a world where there's just zero privacy one of the things I love about Australia is uh, our country is essentially empty and you drive a couple of hours out of the big cities and you're in the bush and there's no cell phone signal and there's nothing. And, you, and there, there's an interesting sense of liberation around that. And you can forget about all this technology for a while, which is actually wonderful. Although I did go to a talk earlier this week by an Italian female entrepreneur based in Adelaide, Australia, that's developing um, nanosatellites for, for connectivity. So soon we will have cheap connectivity around the world, including these remote areas, um, which, you know, the, she was saying it's fantastic for farmers, for internet of things where all their devices will be connected and more efficiency and agri-tech. And I can sort of see the use case, but when I go camping, sometimes I, I absolutely love that there's no signal and, and everyone sitting around the campfire, you have to look at each other and talk to each other because that temptation <laughs> is just not there. But I don't think it's going to last for much longer, unfortunately. No, not, I mean, especially if Mark Zuckerberg has anything to say about it. He's trying to bring the internet to everyone. Yeah, look, I mean, in fairness, it's indulgent for us in the first world country to say, oh, you know, we will go have a break from it all. But in, in developing countries where they don't have proper access at all mm. to Google things and to study things and to learn things and to access health information, I mean, they absolutely should have that. There's no doubt about it. And so it's... Uh, Definitely. Um, I think it's just an yeah. individual responsibility to to have that self-control, to turn it off. If that's what you want, I think you should always have the option. 
Absolutely. I think I think Google and Apple should give that full control just to say, I, I do not want any listening at all. I'm not going to use Siri. I'm not going to use Google Voice, etc. Just switch it off. But you still, you know, if you're listening to the show and you still have to be aware if you're around people, their phone may be listening. It's it's a crazy thing to have to worry about today. Oh, for sure. I also I was also more referring to being in the outback. <laughs> that you should have the option to uh, yes. to use the internet yes. in the outback or in any developing country um, and have the self-control to turn it off if that's what you're after, having a break. Yeah, it's not it's not as simple. Unfortunately, you know, people will still, the, the temptation, the dopamine hits are just too tempting. It, it doesn't work as well. That being said, people generally do, do seem to be better behaved these days around phones. Generally, with, with, if you're with friends at restaurants, I find generally people these days, they've managed to separate. They have a sense when it is inappropriate to be using the phone extensively. So that's that's good to see. But if you are a Google, if you are a Google user and an Android user, you can go and check out. We've got a link to the article on the show notes, but you might even be able to Google it, how you can actually review the sound clips that Google has stored on you. Go check it out. Email us if you find out anything interesting and uh, anything that surprises you, because I was very surprised. It really <laughs> took me by surprise. But at least you can go and check out your files and clear out your files. Or you can buy the new Apple iPhone for 2000 Australian dollars and have the privilege of not knowing what Apple's got on you and they probably got all these sound files on you and uh, you can pay for that privilege, which is fantastic. Um, <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> it's true oh, though, it's Kate. Apple, Apple Android debate in any way. <laughs> it's true. It's true. So anyway, we're going to take a short break. We're going to uh, be speaking with, uh, playing the interview that I had with Dr. Tal Rapke about his exciting blockchain startup. A special welcome to all our new users. Email us at podcast at itsamonkey.com. We love to hear from you. And we particularly wanted to try and work out who listens to the show. We can see people listening on the stats. Um, drop us an email. We'll even give you a free shout out. Let us know, are you an entrepreneur? Are you someone who works in tech? Are you an investor? Are you a student? If we get to find out a little bit about more who's listening, we can we can tailor the show a little bit. So we, we're on a little bit of a mission to find out who is listening to the show. So drop us an email or a tweet at Monkey Podcast. We're going to take a short break and we'll be back in a second. Hi, my name is Joe Pinto. I'm the business operations manager here at Manage Flitter. Did you know that Manage Flitter can help you quickly and cheaply build an organic following on Twitter? Let me explain in six easy steps. Step one, find new prospects on Twitter with Power Mode, Manage Flitter's advanced Twitter search feature. Step two, easily filter and sort results to find the most relevant Twitter accounts for you to follow. Step three, Follow these Twitter accounts using Manage Flitter's simple interface. Step four, unfollow accounts that do not follow you back within 14 days. Step five, watch your Twitter follower numbers grow as high quality accounts follow you back. Step six, rinse and repeat to maintain consistent organic Twitter account growth. Feel free to drop by manageflitter.com to trial our product or email us at contact at manageflitter.com to schedule an obligation-free walkthrough. 
You're back with It's a Monkey podcast. We talk about everything relating to technology, entrepreneurship, startups, and one of the ongoing themes, if you're a regular listener to the podcast, has been blockchain, cryptocurrencies, etc. And um, one of the questions I often get asked is, you know, besides cryptocurrencies, how else is the blockchain going to change our world? And we chatted with Melanie Swan a couple of episodes ago where we spoke about how it's going to impact governance and um, the economic framework. But I uh, stumbled upon... Another use case of the blockchain in, in my travels and meeting entrepreneurs. And um, I'm happy to say I've got Dr. Tal Rapke, who is the CEO and founder of a blockchain startup called Scalamed. And I've managed to drag him into the studio for a quick chat um, about uh, his vision for a new uh, application of the, uh, of the blockchain. Tal, or Dr. Rapke, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Awesome to be here, Kevin. Thank you for having me. And thanks for creating, I guess, a platform for inspiring or for entrepreneurs to be heard out there in the wide world of the internet. And it's so great to to have a cutting edge blockchain startup in the um, in the sort of, you know, in downtown Sydney. We, we have so many people talking on Skype by all parts of the world, but it's great to have you here in the, the Managed Flutter studio. Tell us about Scalamed. Tell us about um, what you're trying to do, your vision and uh, where you're at with everything. Great. Uh, thanks for asking. So I think rather than um, speaking to the problem, and I think some of the challenges that people find when they get excited by blockchain is they're often excited by the idea of a problem, um, sorry, of a solution that's trying to find a problem. And I often start by saying to any entrepreneur, anyone who'll listen, we really need to start with the, with the problem first and find the right solution for that. And the right solution may incorporate some blockchain, may not. Blockchain is a system like all, or it's a tool like all others. At times it's the right one, at times it's it's not. But I guess if I backtrack a few steps, um, you know, for the last number of years um, in healthcare, and I'm a physician by training, I've worked as a doctor, I've worked in pharmaceuticals, I've worked in management consulting, digital health. The constant theme that has that has arisen over time has been the patient. And that kind of sounds a little bit um, unusual for people who like, yeah, well, isn't healthcare all about the patient? You know, working in a space where Healthcare is a complex environment where money moves usually between nodes. Um, you know, if you think about our experience in Australia, most of us and around the world, a lot of people pay very limited amounts of money for their healthcare. It's often covered and reimbursed by others. Wages often include healthcare costs as part of it. So healthcare for a large amount of people is sometimes a bit of a given. You know, obviously I'm going to have a doctor who's going to see me. Obviously my hospital may be free or have low cost for me. And the patient is to a large extent in the whole healthcare environment being ignored. Medical systems have risen around diseases. So there's a doctor who manages your heart. There's a doctor who manages your kidney. There's a doctor who manages your big toe. And and that's not really a holistic way to approach any healthcare system. And so the reason why this has stayed the way that it's stayed healthcare for the last 100 years or so is because there's always been a knowledge asymmetry. Humans have always been in general, in general healthcare illiterate. We've always been called the patient because we must sit there patiently waiting for the godlike doctor to come to come out of his rooms or invite us into his rooms. We've been waiting probably most likely impatiently for his service. He then waves his magic wand and tells us in Latin a whole lot of words um, describing our symptoms and then offers, a, offers us some medicines or some potions and, and we get sent away. Yet... And, and that was a great system when healthcare was all about acute medicine. You'd break your leg, you'd have a heart attack, you get cancer. And, and the repercussions of all those things were usually that you died or they somehow managed to patch you up. But healthcare's evolved. 80% of all healthcare costs 
are chronic diseases, meaning things that we live with every day. We live with depression, we live with mental illness, we live with diabetes, we live with cardiovascular disease, we live with cancers, we even live with HIV. HIV used to kill us, now people live with it till they're 80. So all these diseases that used to be managed really well by doctors in their, in, in their offices now need to be managed in the community. And yet we as patients are completely ignored. We don't have our data. We're not empowered. We still have to go into the doctor to see us. We don't have our data or test results. Ridiculous. So my whole philosophy has been, how do we actually center the patient in the middle of their healthcare universe? How do we move healthcare the way every other industry has gone, where if you ignore the consumer, you do so at your own peril? How do we truly center the healthcare experience whereby we, me as a patient, not a doctor, and you, Kevin, as a patient, not a doctor, are empowered? Because the future of healthcare is us, our data, and then some form of intelligence or algorithm or deep learning that sits on top of it, that interprets it for us and allows us to work out and curate our own healthcare journey that's right for us. And in order to create that future, we need first and foremost our data. We need to know what's happening to us. We need access to it. And the problem that exists today is that our data, because of the way the 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 enterprise has, has, has gobbled up anything that belongs to us, our data sits on average in 19 separate, uninteroperable, with no communication between them databases. Your one, most people have got between two and three GPs, their transactional GP, the one that you go to get a sick note, or the one that you go to because you're unwell and you can't see your own GP, your regular GP, specialist hospitals, clinics, pharmacies, uh, pathology laboratories, all your data sits there, not centralized at you. So we're trying to find a way and we've found a way to really try and create a way for a consumer to own and have access to their own medical data beginning with prescriptions. And to me, anything that we can do to really start empowering a consumer, ensuring that we as consumers have access to that and can start owning and curating our own healthcare journey, not only only is it a more satisfying journey for each of us, but it's ultimately the only way to reduce healthcare costs and make healthcare 10 times less expensive than it is today. And that's our mission. Um, Our mission is to ensure that um, healthcare has a bright future, that we have the same healthcare system, if not better, than the one we inherited from our parents. And with an aging tsunami coming our way, um, the only way to do it is to empower and put the patient in the center. And that's what we do. And um, we do so using some blockchain technology, which is a way to democratize data, a way to move data, whereby I'm not creating another enterprise layer between a human and their own data and a way that I truly respect the fact that people not only um, have access to their data but own it and can decide how they use it under what circumstances. I think you articulate incredibly well how broken healthcare is and um, I think there's very I've met very few medical profession professionals that have the vision to actually um, take it on and 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 sort of move to the next phase of uh, um, fusing medical the medical industry with the latest technologies that have been available actually for for a very long time in fact and um, tell us just briefly I know you push for time but tell us briefly you you mentioned um, you tackling first the the prescription side of things and you mentioned that uh, you know you you're focusing on a customer centric type of approach. Um, Explain, I guess, the, the, the main use case of um, the, the patient slash customer consumer that's um, going to benefit from your, um, from your implementation, your product. 
Um, look, I, I'll, I'll answer very briefly. And, and like you just mentioned, unfortunately, I do have to run. Um, I, I will answer it in two ways. I'll say that, and I'll answer with three questions. Why is it today when we go to an airport, we can carry our boarding pass with us on our telephone? We can go to the movies and we don't require tickets anymore. We can have our, have our, have our, um, our phones scanned. And we can actually look back at those records of what we've done. We can go to Amazon. We can have a list of all of the things that we've purchased on Amazon over time. And we can go and reorder those. Why do we have that experience with every other consumable in our life, but not the ones that are most important to us, like our medicines? And so to, so we're trying to um, change that. We're trying to ensure that um, patients continue to have the choice of how they purchase their prescriptions, how they manage their medicines. And especially, you know, I, I use my parents as an example. I'm sorry, mum and dad, but... You know, between them, they're taking 15 different medicines. My mom's in the pharmacy pretty much every day or every second day, managing scripts, managing how she's going to get them, walking in there, realizing she doesn't have a prescription. I'm trying to help my parents. I'm trying to help the the, the majority of Australians who are above the ages of 30 are essentially taking medicines. I'm trying to make it easier and, and, and ensuring that, that managing our health is no longer the pain that it was in the past. I'm trying to help doctors that the doctors can have the right data at the right time when they're making those decisions. I'm trying to help. I was a young resident in hospitals trying to work out what Mrs. Smith, who came in with a bag full of medicine, um, pink pills and green pills and a pill beginning with the letter L, trying to work out what those were and trying to make sure that we have less mistakes, that patients are less uh, harmed less, and trying to ensure that everybody really in the healthcare system benefits from a seamless um, integration of that data. Kevin, I've, I really appreciate the time. I'm sorry to hopefully leave your, you, leave your viewers hanging, but... Check us out in the future, scarlamed.com. We will have a website up very shortly. It's been in, in, um, in, in secret, secret squirrel <laughs> territory and, um, and, and love to hear from you. So um, feel free to reach out, um, info at scarlamed.com. Um, and Kevin, thank you for the opportunity. Tal, thanks so much for joining us. We'd love to drag you in to talk more about this exciting topic. Um, Tal Rapke, the CEO and founder of Scarlamed, we'll put, we'll put all the links up on the show notes as usual. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. The It's a Monkey podcast is brought to you by CheckDog. Use CheckDog to easily review and monitor your website for spelling errors, broken links, and broken images, all with the push of one button. CheckDog can also automatically monitor your website and notify you of newly introduced spelling errors. Go to checkdog.com forward slash podcast to receive 50% off your first month subscription. CheckDog.com. Helping the world's leading websites keep their content error-free. So there we go, Kate. We found someone doing something useful with the blockchain in Sydney, Australia. I love the idea. Just this week, I actually um, had a small infection on my finger of all places, and I had to go to the doctor. And um, I'm lucky enough that I don't have to go to the doctor a lot. And she prescribed some antibiotics. And yes, lo and behold... She had to print out a piece of paper. I had to hold on the piece of paper and go to the chemist and give them the piece of paper. And uh, yeah, all very advanced for about 1965. So it it definitely made me think of um, Skylar Men and what uh, Tull's trying to do with the paperless prescriptions, which I think is just such a fantastic idea. And more than the paperless prescriptions, having one place where you can keep your entire medical record for your whole life 
that doctors can access and maybe even medical insurance companies can access. And the benefits are just huge. Come on, 2017, where are we, people? Mm, I know. He made an interesting point about um, how the average person has about three different doctors. So maybe their regular GP, the one that's near their office, the one they go to if everyone else is closed. And uh, and so and each of them hold their own set of records and like everybody's moving, everybody's traveling these days. Like it would be so much easier if all of that data was in one place and you as the patient had control to take it with you. I mean, Kate, I, I grew up in South Africa, as most people know. I had a knee operation when I was about 18. I just had a little bit of damaged cartilage. And it was uh, quite a while ago now. And do you know, I don't remember which knee that operation was on, right? Yep. I can understand that. <laughs> yeah, I actually, I actually don't, rem- I don't remember. And it's just, so it's just little things like that over time. Why? Because I haven't had to refer it about it. I forgot about it. It's quite a long time ago. And, and for me to find that out, I've got to, I can't even remember the doctor's name. He was in South Africa. You know, maybe I could get some x-ray here and they could see, like, like just to actually f- confirm what, whether it was my left or right knee. Like, it's just, it's crazy. Whereas there is a record sitting somewhere in someone's file about it, you know. And, and in Australia, we've got superannuation, which is like pensions. And you can consolidate all your pensions into one pension account. It's almost we need something like when we, when we have the right blockchain technology, we can have an exercise or, or where we just go to all the doctors we've ever gone to and just get the, all the paper records and just get it dumped into this one repository and be done with it once and for all. Definitely, definitely. And, um, but just even just to have that, have the power over your own information. Um, and your health would be amazing. Not, not that necessarily that you had anything to hide, um, but that, yeah, you know, you, you control who gets to see that information. Like, do I want to give that information to my private health insurance provider? Do I want to give that information to a new doctor? Do, does the specialist need to know everything about me? Like, if you could control what they could see or just, you know, who has access to that information, it would change everything. Of course, the critics of it say, well, it can be hacked and boom, there goes all your information. And it's a very timely argument because this week there was one of the biggest hacks ever in the States of a company that holds a lot of credit information. And essentially, everyone's social security number and other information in the US was hacked, right? So these challenges and these problems are real. However, with blockchain technology, you're hoping that it is more secure and things like that. But yes, I mean, there was the big hack this week that that has affected everyone and, and it's out there now in the open. But, you know, the benefits are still are still huge of, of having this this one repository and the efficiencies. I'm sure I think we've spoken about it before on the podcast where every time you go to a medical doctor, you have to fill out the same information again, right? Yeah. Now, even if you want to take the analytical economic approach to that, if you look at the wasted productivity of that 20 minutes or 10 minutes that takes that, right, and inefficiency and that receptionist having to take that information and type it in, right? Billions and billions of dollars worth. And that's what technology is about. I mean, the growth in the economy over the last 50 years around the world 
has been due to productivity gains due to efficiencies. The fact that your generation can travel around the world relatively cheaply and my generation, when we were your age, we couldn't because it was relatively expensive has got to do all with productivity gains that all add up. So we need to keep pushing for that. Definitely, definitely. I mean, I was also fascinated when he said, uh, well, it puts it in perspective really when he mentioned that, you know, we carry our boarding pass on our phone and well, anything is, is mobile now. There's like so many important documents and stuff that we, I mean, and even going back to what we just spoke about, the tech news, you know, we let these companies record our everyday conversations uh, and somehow the medical system, which is probably one of the most important systems, is just decades behind. And that's one conversation I wouldn't mind being recorded and attached into my information, my chat with my doctor, even if it was something about as trivial as this infected finger, right? Yeah. I'd happily have that tagged in there. I can refer back to it. Another doctor can potentially refer back to it at a time. So there, that actually makes sense. Of course, they're very, very political industries. You just have a look at what's going on in the U.S. with regard to healthcare now. Absolute complicated nightmare. There's a lot of vested interests in, in, in the U.S. The insurance companies run the state of affairs. But, you know, particularly some of the smaller advanced countries like the Scandinavian countries should, should try starting to make headway. Maybe they are. I don't know. I have no idea. And really lead the way. And we can, you know, move towards a global standard around this, which would be fantastic. And you can imagine even things like in a developing country, if if their medical records can get stored on the blockchain, you can do things like have doctors in developed countries helping these people out because they got easy access to their medical records, right? So a chap sitting in a in in, a, in Bangladesh struggling with something, then maybe there can be a not for profit that that get someone in America or Australia to, to help people and they've got access to medical records that will make it very workable as opposed to just having someone at the end of a Skype line and having to start from scratch. So there's all these other benefits that could actually flow from that. Definitely, definitely. I mean, and even as you said, something as little as, you know, an infection on your finger, you know, you could diagnose that now, but it might be something, which I hope it's not for your case, but it might be something or a sign of something bigger down the track. And if your next doctor or a doctor overseas has a has a, that clue and knows about that infection, then he can do his job better as well. Yeah, it's really we, – we, I think we need to form some sort of lobby group, you know, that needs to push for this. And, again, I think it's vested interests that – are working against us and obviously this medical system has been designed i mean when i had a blood test just for a checkup a few months ago i actually chatted to the nurse there there's a lot of paper involved and she's signing and checking and ticking and asks your birth date and there's obviously a lot of cross-checking to see that things don't go wrong and i said to her wow there's a huge amount of paperwork involved in all of this and she said yes you know a lot of the system has evolved in a very specific way to ensure that there aren't any mistakes. And that's a fair enough argument, but with technology and RFID tags and all sorts of things like that, I can't see that we can't move past a paper-based system because everything's still so paper-based in the, in the medical field. So, um, yeah. Okay. I mean, you could even, which I don't claim to know how to solve this at all, but um, I was speaking to, I have a friend over here and she's Swedish and, uh, and she was explaining to me the other day how they have 
um, like an identity code for every single person that's born in Sweden. Um, and that code is like, you, you keep it private, you know, you only use it to identify yourself in extreme circumstances type thing. And um, it just made me think that potentially if a system like that, like you don't even have to attach a name, you're just attaching a, a code or some kind of identity to that record would still help tenfold. Yeah, I mean, there's been a debate in Australia around we don't have ID numbers here. We just have names and driver's licenses or an identity card. In South Africa, we did have ID numbers. I think I've still got an ID number. There are people that are critical of ID numbers that they, you know, the government can track you and use it for evil. And as always, balance of interests, balance of interests. But this healthcare definitely needs to be sorted out. Healthcare is 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 a right, a human right for every person on the planet. And we've got all this technology and it can save lives. It can improve the quality of lives. And we shouldn't be beholden to the industry itself. The industry should serve us as the citizens and as the taxpayers. And as technologists, some of this impetus should come from us. So anyway, that's episode, episode number 105. Please email us, podcast at itamonkey.com. Tweet us. Uh, let us know if you'd like to be a guest, if you su- would like to suggest any guests. We hope you enjoy the show. Maybe I think we've got some new managed flitter USBs. I'll tell you what. Let's make available a couple of USBs. If uh, you're still listening to us, uh, drop us a line. Tell us who you are. We'll send you um, some limited edition managed flitter keyring USBs. And... Um, we promise they don't have any built-in listening devices on them. <laughs> <laughs> and um, let us know who you are. And we'll be back next week or next little week or so. Actually, next week's a bit of a complex week. It's my birthday. It's the Jewish New Year. There's a lot happening. So I'm not quite sure when we're going to get the next podcast out. But over the next week or two, um, we'll definitely come back to you. If, if uh, you do celebrate Jewish New Year, Shana uh, Tova, which means Happy New Year to you. And uh, thanks for listening. And we'll talk to you in the next week or so. See you later. <laughs>